Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. so great to see everybody this morning that you're here in church. And even those joining us online, we're glad that you're joining with us. Special, special warm welcome to the men and women, the Lafayette Correctional Facilities that are there tuning in with us. Can we give them a hand as well? You're just as much a part of this church as everybody here live. So thank you for being with us and being here this morning. Well, let me ask a question. Who would like championship relationships this morning? Come on, put your hands up. It's okay. You can join in in church and you can join in online as well. I think all of us would, and we're continuing in this series, Championship Relationships. You've heard Pastor Jacob two weeks ago. If you haven't listened to those messages, please go back. They're phenomenal. Him and Miss Michelle did an amazing championship marriage edition relationships, all about what that means to have an amazing marriage. And then last week, we heard on Valentine's Day, really the ingredients for a championship relationship. But this morning, I want to challenge you. Can I challenge you this morning? Can I, can I, those... Can I challenge you this morning? Some of you are like, I'm nervous, Pastor. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not going to bite. Okay. That hard. But it was, it will, it's going to be great because I want to challenge you and I want to talk to you about the people on your relationship team. Okay? The people on your relationship team. You might be going, I'm not on a team. But let me explain in just a second. Because I, I might not be an expert in a lot of things. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a, a counselor, like Pastor David. If you, if you need some trouble, that's him, not me, okay? But can I tell you, I know what a championship team looks like. My background, just so you guys know, <laughs> is all I do is win, 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 no matter what, okay? I'm just kidding. But I, played, I was blessed to play for the Saints for for four or five years from 07, 2011, win a Super Bowl with them. And so I know the ingredients and I know what it takes to have a championship team on your side. Because the truth is, and don't forget this, the quality of your relationships determine the quality of your life. Whether you like it or not, I want you to quickly scan in your background right now and just look at where your life is at, what it's gone through, and you can very clearly see that the quality of your relationships will determine the quality of your life. And I love the word championship. There's something about it that makes us look to the best, doesn't it? It makes us think of the greatest something can be. And though sometimes we think about number one as like comparing ourselves to other things or other people or other teams, but really championship to me just means being the best that you can be and who God has created you to be. And the relationships in your life, maximizing them to the full, not because it benefits you, listen to me, because it glorifies God. And the confusion of church today in America is that we come into Sunday service, we hear a word, we become transformed here, and then we just go out and live our lives. I don't think that's true. I think part of it's true. But I think Sunday is for celebration and inspiration. Listen to me. So that Monday through Saturday, we can have application and transformation all around us. All around us. And so when you come in here, it's going to be a celebration. We're going to lift our hands. And we're going to shout because God sent the one. God sent the one to save us. And who am I that, I, that God knows my name? Who am I that he would send his son to die on my behalf? Who am I? And we need to look and be able to look at our relationships and choose very carefully, listen, very carefully who is on our relational team. Science tells us this. Science tells us that the human brain and everything else around us can only obtain, listen to this, five close relationships at a time. Five. We might have over 150 acquaintances, but science tells us that we can really only handle five close relationships. I don't know about you, but if I'm choosing a dream team, I'm choosing a basketball team, I'm going to choose MJ, LeBron, right, Larry Bird. I'm going to choose the best of the best. I'm not going for the guy in the practice squad. But in our relationships sometimes, don't we end up choosing the practice squad guy over the dream teamer? We do. Now, 
I know I was so blessed to be on that championship team in 2009. And I'll tell you this about Sean Payton. Sean didn't go out all of a sudden and close his eyes and go, I want you, 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 and then spin around three times and go, you, 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 okay? He didn't just go randomly choose. Championship teams don't just randomly win. It's not an accident. There's an intentionality to it. There's intentionality. He put key people in key places to make key plays. Why? So we could be champions. We need to open our eyes this morning. I want to challenge you to look at the people in your life on your team. Because once again, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. And nothing, listen to me, nothing that anyone has ever, no one person that has done something significant has ever done it alone. Never. And if we want to do something significant, then we need to have significant people around us that are spurring us to championship quality living. Amen? That's what we need. So this morning, I want to look at that. We're going to open our our Bibles to Proverbs 27. Verse 17, it might be a familiar verse to you if you've been in church for a while, or if you're a man, this is a very manly verse, as iron sharpens iron, you know, and we think it's a really manly verse, but I want to break it down for us this morning and utilize it in the way that I believe God wants us to see it. Proverbs 27, 17, the passion version, Pastor Jacob's favorite version, right, is this. It says, it takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. Well, Solomon was very clear in this as he wrote Proverbs and he wrote this wisdom book, this book of wisdom, and that he's talking and comparing two different things. He's comparing the relationships in your life with the sharpening of a blade. Now, what's interesting about this is it clearly delineates and denotes two different kinds of relationships in your life. Listen to me here. Listen to this. There is no neutral relationships in your life. What do you mean by that? It means this, they're either sharpening you or they're making you soft, one or the other. It's not, well, I like being around them and sometimes they're cool, sometimes they aren't. And and we casually, haphazardly enter into these relationships when all the while we don't realize it, but it's not sharpening you, it's making you soft. But the hard part about relationships that grind is the difficulty about it is the way that it happens, okay? Before y'all start oohing and aahing, like, oh, he has a knife this morning. Yeah, I do, okay? Okay, your pastor went crazy. No, and what's interesting about this is that the technique of sharpening, and I'm not an expert sharpener, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that in order to sharpen something, there has to be friction. There, There has to be a grinding motion that happens in order to hone the blade. Why? Because it won't get sharp unless you put some pressure on it and make it feel uncomfortable, y'all. It won't happen. And all of a sudden, what happens is, is when people come into our life that God is meaning to hone us and to sharpen us, what we do is we run from those relationships because we don't like the way it feels. And we don't like what they say. And we don't like the way they look at us. And we don't, they don't know me. God knows my heart. They don't know my heart. You know how many times I hear that around? It's like, they don't, they can't judge me. God judges my heart. Well, guess what? The Bible clearly tells that if you're a brother and sister in Christ, that we judge in the house, not outside the house. So absolutely we can. And here's why it's good, because we're trying to sharpen each other. We're trying to sharpen each other. But too many times, what do we do? We run away from the sharpening. Why? Because it feels like it's harming us. It feels like it's difficulty and messy. And we avoid those grinding people that want to sharpen our lives because of two reasons, because of past hurts and insecurity. You know what's crazy about it is we let our past relationships, listen to this, define how the future ones go. We go, they hurt me in the past. I'm not going to let anybody hurt me like that again. And so instead of building fences, which allow people to come in and put proper boundaries up, what do we do? We put up walls and we think we're safe inside. Let me tell you this. You're more alone than you've ever been before. And you're not sharpening. You're going soft. You're going soft. You see, that's not God's purpose in our life. 
And that's not what he wants for us to have because he never meant for us to steer towards comfort, but instead to go towards conflict. And anytime we steer towards comfort, God will always do something to afflict us. I, I love the way this, this old, old preacher said it. He said, Jesus came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Jesus came to comfort the afflicted. If you're going, I need some comforting right now, great. But he also said, if you're too comfortable, I'm gonna afflict you. Why does he do that? Because he loves you so much to let you stand still where you are and not be what he created you to be in the lives of the people that he called you to be with. It's just not the truth. He wants more for your life, for my life. But in order to do that, we need to hone ourselves with other people. Because though Christianity, listen to me, in the decision that we make to be born again is very private, the way we live is very public, amen? We are called to be salt and light in this world. So if we're gonna do that, we need to be the best salt and light that we can be, and we need to put other salt and light around us. But it takes a sharpening, a sharpening, a sharpening, a friction, and it takes conflict. And too many times, conflict gets a bad rap. Too many times it does because we think that because conflict feels uncomfortable, we think it has no productivity. Listen to me. Conflict breeds intimacy every single time. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Chris? I know that because of the relationship that I have with Jesus and the relationship that I've seen with other people. At some point in your walk with Jesus, if you're a born-again believer, here's what ends up happening. It's what I call a beautiful collision happens. It's where your will meets God's will. And what happens is, is there's this beautiful collision. None of us come to God. He chooses us. Why do I say that? Because usually it's at your lowest point. You don't choose God at your highest point. You choose him at your lowest point. Why? Because you've gotten to the end of yourself and your will and your effort, and you go, it's still not enough. And God goes, are you going to surrender to my will and my effort? And there's a collision that happens. One of the strongest prayers that I have for my kids is not is not that they just are born again believers and that they love Jesus. I want that for them, but I want them for them not because they think it's my faith, but because they come into a collision with an amazing God, an amazing father that says, I want more for your life than what you can even think of. And in order to do that, you have to surrender to your will, to my will. I want that for them. And if we think we come to Jesus because we want him, no, it couldn't be further from the truth. We come to him because we have no other choice, and he is the greatest option we have. He is the greatest option we have. So it's a beautiful collision that begins to happen. And all of a sudden, it's either your will or it's God's will. And this conflict, listen to me, this conflict breeds so much intimacy in that relationship. And so we confuse God's love, and we say, well, God, you love me so much. And he goes, but yeah, look what it took to get you. It took the cross. That's conflict. But in order, without that conflict, we would never have intimacy with Jesus. And that's what he want, we want with other people. The problem is, because of this conflict and this sharpening, here's what happens. We avoid it. And we resist it. You know, this past week, it was interesting going through an ice storm in South Louisiana. I'll just say that right now. In South Louisiana. And praise God that it's over. Hope and pray that everybody stayed safe and warm uh, over those past few days. And it was just weird. And I have five beautiful kids under the age of nine. And these amazing kids, four out of the five were born in, Lu in Louisiana. And so they are proper Cajuns, y'all. They are saving toys. They are making dishes. They are doing making groceries. They are doing other things like that that I have no idea. They're coming. They say, come see, Daddy. What am I coming to see? They just come here. They, I, I, and so it's interesting that they are proper Cajuns. And I knew that. It was confirmed this week. Because as the ice storm hit and the, and, and the ice came down, they woke up in the morning and all of my kids ran to the window and said, Daddy, Daddy, it snowed outside. And I looked at them and said, that's not snow. It's ice. <laughs> well, we don't know any different. If it's white, it's snow. 
You see, I, I, most people don't know this about me, but I was born in Canton, Ohio, right across the street from a football hall of fame. Every single baby that was born in that hospital gets a little football. And so I got a little football when I was born and little did I know that that would be my destiny and my career early on in life. And so it's interesting. And, and that's real snow up there. I'll just tell you about that. You get real snow up there. I remember as a young boy, I only lived there for a few years, but I remember as a young boy listening to my mom being taught how to drive in ice and snow. Now, I hope and pray that none of, all, none of y'all went out and hunkered down in your house. But if you went out, there's a strategy to driving in ice. Because there comes a point where you probably more than likely will end up skidding. And the question that happens, the, the question that, that really comes to my mind is, what do you do when you start sliding and skidding on ice? Our natural tendency is to do this, is to turn away from all the skinning and all the ice. And so we turn away to try to overcorrect. But what happens is when you're in a tailsman, you just keep on spinning. And what the experts tell you is this, is that when you're on ice and you begin skidding out, do what the opposite of your natural instinct is, which is this, turn into the skid, not away from it. Turn into the conflict. Turn into that which feels uncomfortable. Because when you do, you end up straightening out. You see, in our relationships, here's what ends up happening. We turn away from that conflict, away from the sharpening. When God goes, if you lean into it, I'll straighten you out more straighter than you've ever been before. I'll begin correcting things in your life that you haven't seen before. You'll be receiving more love, more adoration and grace than you've ever known before. Why? Because we're leaning into that discomfort to sharpen us so that we have a purpose, not just to come to church, but to be the church outside of these walls. Does that make sense this morning? And so we need to turn in to the skid. And though it's uncomfortable and we want to avoid it, this is the key. This is the key to straightening out. And the lie that we've bought into, bought into is this. Listen to me. Is that we think because it feels uncomfortable and it's painful that we think that all pain is the same. Can I show you? Not all pain is the same. A pain, a pain in surgery, listen to me, and the pain of someone stabbing you with a knife are two different things. Two different purposes of them. You see, Jesus clearly delineates these things in John chapter 15 when he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to us. And one of the last things he says is this. He said, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. Verse two, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus describes two different methods of feeling pain. What is that? Cutting and pruning. Now, I'm not, I'm not an expert green. I don't have a green thumb. I can't grow anything. So please don't ever come to me and go, how do I grow my plants? I don't know. I'm going to, do you think you just water it? Hopefully. I have no idea. But I'm clueless. But I'm telling you, I did some research on what it means to prune. And you don't hurt the plant. You end up helping the plant. Because when you prune it, you cut off the ones that don't belong there. So all the resources funnel to one purpose and one plant. So it can actually produce more than it did before. You see, God will never harm you, but he will hurt you. And you're going, my God doesn't, he doesn't hurt me. That's the world. No, 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 no. Listen to me. He'll allow you to be hurt so you can turn to him and know what it's like to bear fruit for him. Because, listen, when he'll never harm you, he'll never cut you so much that he'll harm you and leave you bleeding. He might hurt but he's doing it because he wants surgery to get that cancer out so you can be healthy. You see, we don't see it that way. We see all hurt as the enemy and we we see all helping as God. But God said, I'm the God of the living and the dead. I'm not just the God of the living. I'm the God of both. I control all things. And so when we get into these relationships and people begin to hurt us, we think that, oh no, I'm out of here. When really they're not harming you, they're trying to help you. And that is the glory of God that we have, that he is sovereign and controls all of those things. Because if God can't prune you, cut the things away in your life, if God can't prune you, listen to me, God will not promote you. If God can't prune you, he won't promote you. Because we have too much stuff all over us and he's going, let me sharpen you. 
And here's the hard part that God does. And I wish he would come down in a burning bush. How many know? Come on. I wish he would talk to me differently like everybody else in the Old Testament. Give me a vision of ladders and stairs and let me see all these. I just want, just come to me in a vision. I want a burning bush. I want a talking donkey. I want something. Give me something, God. Make it plain, right? Here's what he usually does. And he knows it. He knows because he's a great, good father is that now he comes to me, not in a talky donkey, not in a burning bush. Here's what he comes to me in, in other people. That's difficult because we want to fold our arms and go, what do you know? You know, take the plank out of your own eye first, you know? It's one of those things, and we, get, we throw an attitude, and we just go, you can't tell me about my life. I don't care if I was being mean to my boss. or brother. It doesn't matter to me. You don't, you don't know what they did. So we justify our actions because we don't like what somebody wants to say to us. We don't, we don't want somebody to reveal the truth. And we sit there, and we just go, okay. And God goes, you realize, here's what he said, you realize I'm not going to let you sit there and do that. So what does he do? He sends somebody else in your life. And then he sends other things. And then he does this. And he goes, I love you so much. I will continue to make you feel pain and hurt until you turn to me and say, this is God's way, not my way. He will do it. He, will, he is that loving of a father. I love what Darius Daniels says, a good friend of this house. He says this, all people have equal value before God, but not all people bring equal value to your life. Some of, some of us put same, we put the same people on the same level and one's trying to help you and the other's trying to hurt you. One's trying to sharpen you, other trying to make you soft. And we don't evaluate the relationships in our life. Remember five, you only get five. Those are dangerous who we need to pick. So I want to help us choose the best. Can I do that this morning? I want to help guide and direct us. If we only get five, if we know we want people to sharpen our lives, it might feel uncomfortable. I'm going to turn into the skid. Then we need to choose the best relationship team that we can. And I believe Solomon does that again in Ecclesiastes chapter four. I'm going to give you four indicators. I'm going to read the verse and then we're going to we'll have those four and then we'll close. Here's what it is. Ecclesiastes chapter four says this. Two people are better than one because together they have a good reward for their hard work. If one falls, the other can help his friend get up. But how tragic it is for the one who is all alone when he falls. There's no one to help him get up. And again, if two people lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm? Though a one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent. Write these four things down. I'm going to give you to them one by one. The first one is this that we see in these verses is we need shared purpose. Shared purpose. Someone who will work with you. Solomon says two are better than one because you get a good reward for their hard work. When we talk about hard work, and I remember talking, you know, I remember being at the Saints, and when you went into the locker room and every single practice, we had one goal. We had one purpose. It didn't matter if you were the front office staff or you were the lowest man on the totem pole. It did not matter. The one purpose that we had was to win the Super Bowl. Not win just a game, not just win two or three, but to win the Super Bowl. We had purpose and we were going in the same direction. And what I believe many of us have done is we created a relationship team, listen to me, based upon proximity and not purpose. I, I'm telling you right now, I don't know who this is for, but the Holy Spirit's about to poke on something. That you've been lumping people into your life based upon proximity because they're around you, not because they have the same purpose as you. And it's a detriment to your life right now. It's a detriment to your life. One of the, the joys of, of my short pastoral career has been you know, coming up as a youth pastor and a college pastor and sub 30 and, and, and that transition between high school and college is always very difficult for, for parents and students. And the, the thing that I realized over the past few years that I dealt with probably more than anything else was the, the fact that it wasn't that the schooling was that hard or they were having tough with life, transitions with life. The biggest thing that they dealt with, this is a shocking thing, was they had a tough time making friends. You're probably going like me, like, what do you mean making friends? They had a tough time making the friends like they had back in 
high school or middle school. And I found out the reason why is because most of our relationships come based upon where we are in that season of life. Right? Think about it for a second. If, if you're on a sports team and you were a football player, you, all your buddies were football guys, you know, or you're a cheerleader, you were a cheerleader, or, or gymnast, or whatever you did, or, or at your job, all your friends are right there. Based upon proximity, we give people access to our lives. When the Bible clearly tells us right there that that's not wise because they're not working in the same direction as you. And so what we do is we think that shared proximity equals shared purpose. It doesn't because they're not going in the same direction. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians is this. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteous with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with dark? Paul is not saying to the church at Corinth, hey, don't, don't be around anyone who doesn't believe what you believe. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you can't work with somebody and be attached to somebody that's not going in the same direction. Because there's no fellowship there. And what Paul's referring to is Deuteronomy 22, back in the law, where he's talking about an agricultural yoke. And we don't know what this is today, day and age. Most of us don't have any idea. But back then, this was very common to what was happening, is that they would yoke up two animals, and they would put this big wooden apparatus on these two animals, and they would plow the field, or they would plant seed, and they would go in this direction. And together, they would pull the weight and have purpose in what they were doing. Now, Deuteronomy 22 in the law tells the Israelites to do this. It says, don't yoke a donkey with an ox. Now, I don't know nothing about animals, okay? But I know that I like an ox. And donkeys, eh, you know, you're kind of like, what are they? Are they a horse? Are they not? Are they, what do they do? You know, but, but they said, don't yoke those together, and when you look at the physical anatomy of each of these animals, it's interesting why they're saying these things. Practically, it doesn't make sense. An ox is way bigger than donkey. And so what you have, an ox is way stronger than a donkey is. So what happens in this direction, as they try to pull together, they end up fighting one another and resisting one another, and neither one of them enjoy the process nor get to where they want to go. Because why? Because one is bigger than the other and it's pulling and dragging the other one. The other one is taller, so it's having to come up and be with the other one where it's at. They're unequally yoked, meaning they're not going in the same direction. They're not pulling with the same veracity that the other people, they're not going where God wants them to go. And it doesn't say don't be with them because we all know we're called to be salt and light in this world. We all know that we're called to be the church outside. We know we're called to be with unbelievers, but we're not to be yoked with them. Listen, I'm, let me say this. Some of us wonder why we're not where God wants us to be. It's probably because you're yoked with a donkey. Okay, don't look at your mate right now, okay? <laughs> don't look at your spouse or your friend next to you and go, hey, donkey. Hey, you know, uh, I don't know what you do. <laughs> hey, but donkeys stink. No, like literally they smell. <laughs> and they're holding you back from the purpose that God has in your life. They're holding you back from the purpose and the meaning that God has for you. You can't go in the same direction. You just can't. It's not what God has called us to do. But not only that, the shared purpose, we need to continue in that purpose and direction. Here's where number two comes in. We need shared perseverance. We don't just need shared purpose. We need shared perseverance. Someone who will pick you up when you fall. Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 4, it said, if one falls, yet his friend can get him up. You know, I, I think it's interesting how... Um, it's easy to start something. It's very hard to finish. Who's with me with that? I'm, I'm one of those people... I, I, I'm a finisher at heart, but when it comes to books, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a good finisher. I'm a classic. I'll start, I'll get in about eight chapters, you know, and I'm like 80% is done. I'm like, next book, here we go. And we just, I have probably 50, 60 books that I haven't fully completed, but I'll tell you that I read them. Okay. <laughs> I read most of it because it's so hard to finish at times. And I'm so blessed that I had a mom, a single mom of two boys and she instilled in me this principle, one of so many, and she always told me this, Chris, 
when you start something, we always finish it. Because most of the time in my background, growing up playing sports and absolutely diving into that, you know, I'd be on bad teams and have bad coaches or, or just we would be getting blown out or whatever it was. And I'd just be like, I'm quitting. I don't want to be here anymore. This is just stupid. I don't want... And my mom would just go, Chris, did you start this? Yeah. Well, then we're going to finish it. And I absolutely am so grateful that my mom didn't pull me out when it got tough. I'm so glad. I think too many days nowadays, and I get it, our kids, we treat them a little too fragile. Oh, we'll pull you out. Your teacher have her trouble? I'll, I'll call your teacher and tell them they better not do that. Here's what I tell my kids. I've taught you how to handle conflict, and you're going to handle conflict. I taught you how to honor and respect authority, and you're going to handle it in the right way. Because they need to understand that perseverance is doing something for you. It's doing something. It's what the Bible tells us. It does something for us. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who really didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God until after he rose from the dead, writes this book, writes this, these letters to the church, churches all over the Middle East, and he encourages them and challenges them because the church was being persecuted. This is one of the first books, that the letters they believe was written in the first century. And so it's encouraging believers as they were persecuted. Now, persecuted is not like you hang a picture, you know, a cross on your cubicle and people are like, oh gosh, you know, it's not one of those. This is, this is something where they are being burned at the stake, where they are being crucified upside down. This is real persecution. And he encourages them with the first letter that he gives them. Here's what he says to them. To them. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, this is, here's what he's saying. Whenever you fall down, whenever you get knocked down, because you will get knocked down, whenever you fall in that pit, he's saying, pick each other up. Because here's what it's doing. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance, going after it, getting up when you get knocked down. And here's what it says. Because so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James is encouraging us, listen to me, to saying to keep going when the world tells you to stop. Keep going. But we need one another to do it. We need the championship relationships in our life to pick us up and say, let's keep going. I'm walking with you too. Let's go. And you keep on and you finish it. And what happens is when you keep walking and you don't stop, maturity comes. You won't, you'll be complete. You won't lack anything, the Bible tells us. We need this today more than ever before. We need championship people in our lives. Why? Because the Christian life, if you haven't figured it out already, is not rainbow and butterflies. Amen. It's just not. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He was a former atheist. He said this. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. But if you want a religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. It's your truth. We need to be enamored by God's love, but we don't need to be fooled, listen to me, fooled into thinking that the love that God has for us is similar to the love that the world gives us. Because that's what happens. I should feel good because love makes me feel good. Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross when he said, spare this from me, God. But he goes, thy will be done. It's not mine. It's yours. We need to choose the right people that will persist, will endure through it all with us. So we need purpose. We need pers shared perseverance. And the third thing is this. We need shared provision. Someone who will keep you warm. Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 4 says, again, if two people lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can a person keep warm on their own? What's interesting is this is really all about, and I'll just say it clear, this is all about authenticity and transparency. This is about taking off the proverbial mask and cutting the red tape of social distancing and getting close with somebody, right? If you've ever tried to keep warm with somebody on a cold night, you got to get pretty close, real close to keep warm. 
And so what's interesting about this is, is the provision side of things. We have to remove, listen to me, remove the mask and get close and hear what we need and not always what we want. You see, provision is what we need, not what we want. God gives us provision. He doesn't give us a Lamborghini. <laughs> provision is what we need. When I was in the NFL, what was interesting is I couldn't stand day after games. No matter if we won or lost, I just didn't like them. And the only reason I didn't like them was because what, what we would do right after a game is we would go in the film room and we would replay the, the game film and we would watch ourselves and I would cringe every time. I couldn't stand watching myself and going like, oh, oh gosh, that's me. Because it felt like I'm airing out my dirty laundry in front of everybody, like here's me. And my dad said it best. He said, I never realized how much pressure you're under when you're in the NFL. He said, if somebody followed me around with a camera 24 seven in every move of my job, I would be in trouble probably. <laughs> and that's just the truth. Everything you do, we say this, the big eye in the sky, don't lie. That's what we say. It'll tell you exactly what you're doing, where you're at. And I know what I did wrong, and I know some of the mistakes. And what was really tough is it's like, man, I let down my teammates on this play. I missed this tackle. I, I missed that block that could have. I missed all the. And so I'm looking at these things, and I'm just cringe. I just didn't like it. I was like, oh, gosh, I feel like I'm letting myself down. But can I tell you, I needed it. I needed it. Because I can't get corrected if I don't know my mistakes. I can't get, get it right. I can't get that block right that's going to help the team. I, we can't get to the Super Bowl if I don't make this play. And that's what we need. We need someone in our life that tells us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. We need someone that's going to share provision. Now, I'm not saying share money and share food. That's not what, okay, don't, don't go to your friend and go, you need to share all your money with me. Let's go. Pastor told me, share your provision with me. You know, I'm saying share what they need and don't give them what they want. Too many times we go to people for agreement and we never ask them what they really think. I notice that so many times, and that's what gossip is. We go to people because we want agreement. We don't go to people because we want to be challenged. We're not looking for people to tell us what we need. We want people to tell us what we want to hear, right? It's like, I love, thank you guys, when you go out, you're like, oh, pastor, it was a great sermon, great. And that's wonderful. That's encouraging. Thank you for doing that. But I'm telling you right now, I love Pastor Jacob because he tells me what I need to hear, not always what I want to hear. And I need someone in my life that can tell me what I need to hear and share those provisions with me, even if it's not what I want to hear because he's making me better. And this is the intent of all of it. Because you can only truly be friends when there's a, a revealing factor to it. Jesus talks about it in John chapter 15. He said, he said this, he said, I no longer call you my servants because my servant doesn't know what my master's business is. Instead, I have called you my friends for everything that I've learned from the father I've made known to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, because he reveals these things, you're not a servant because you know exactly what's happening. You're now a friend. See, real friends know who you are and still love you anyway. You reveal it to them and they go, huh, we're close now. We're not acquaintances, we're friends. Because there's reveal, there's a revealed word there that begins to happen. And Jesus said, we're friends because you know what my father knows. And you know the whole plan of it. We need people in our lives, listen to me, that share the same provision so we can hear what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And finally, we're gonna close with this. And here's where we close. Is number four. We don't just need purpose, shared purpose. We don't just need shared perseverance or provision. We need shared passion. A shared passion. Someone who will fight for you. Ecclesiastes verse 12 Solomon ended it like this. He said, though one person may be overpowered by another, two people can resist one opponent. I love the way this version says it. It says, and one standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Some brave hard stuff. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Standing back to back. You know, what's interesting about that illustration of what Solomon does is he paints this picture that you're not going to see what's on the other side. 
that you're going to have to stand with your back and you're going to have to trust that that person, that championship relationship in your life is fighting with the same passion as you are. That takes a level of trust and faith in someone else. But the interesting part about coming into something like that and going back to back with somebody and fighting with the same passion as somebody else is you don't know how they're going to fight until you get into the war. You don't know who they are. You don't know if they're going to fight for you or with you. (laughs) And we throw around this word, listen to me, we throw around this word spiritual family. Where I grew up, I didn't ever even heard that before. I love Pastor Jacob throws it around everywhere like everybody knows. I don't, I didn't know it. But I get it now. And I didn't get it until I came here seven years ago. I thought I had spiritual family. But I didn't. And you don't know who that family is. And you don't know how that friend will fight until you get into the war. Our third child was born as a preemie. Spent 24 days in the NICU. Right here in Louisiana. Right here in Lafayette that women's and children, and we were there. It was one of the toughest times that we, we had gone through. And what's interesting is I began to see a beautiful picture of really what spiritual family is all about. I had no idea before. We were in a war that we could do nothing about. A helpless war where you feel like you can fight, but you really don't know how to fight that war. And you feel alone and you feel scared at times. And I'll never forget, I I feel like this was yesterday. The first person that walked into that hospital room, I knew that is a brother I want to be with. And it was Pastor Gabe Smith over the Broussard campus. And he walked into that room and I was like, "What what are you doing here? And he's like, Spiritual family doesn't go through things alone. I'm here to pray for you, to stand with you, to fight for you. And all of a sudden, as my back was turned and I felt like I was alone, it was like a brother came behind and go, I got you. I'm going to fight for you. Many times around here, I think we, we treasure family and it's an amazing Southern quality and cultural quality that we have is we cherish family. And I cherish my family. But I'll be honest with you. Spirit is way thicker than blood. And you go, "Uh uh-uh, here's why it is. Because the blood that you're connected to with your mom, your dad, your mom and them, your brother, your sister, that's physical. We're connected by the spiritual blood of Jesus. That is the thickest blood that you can get. Because we're not fooled by thinking because we have the last name or we're relatives that we need to fight for one another. No, no, no. It's brothers, sisters, back to back, fighting with passion for one another. That's what spiritual family is about. It's not getting together and us go, hey, this is great. How you doing? Hey, you know, what if God bless you? you know? It's fighting with somebody who has cancer and just walks up to the front going, I, I need some help. And we pick them up and just begin praying for them. Knowing, believing God's going to heal them, but more importantly, giving them hope that he's not in this journey alone. Some of us have the wrong people and wrong relationship team in our life and you know it. And you know it. But passion is one thing and one thing alone. And listen to me, it's not emotion. You're probably going, well, I just can't be passionate like you, Pastor Chris. You spit and the veins come out when you preach and everything else. I watch game film on me. I know what happens. <laughs> and you're going, I'm not, I'm not that passionate. You're confusing passion with emotion. That's not what I'm talking about. 
The passion of Christ wasn't, he was like, Rawr, here we go. The passion of Christ was that he sacrificed everything. The passion of Christ was he was willing to lay down. It's what John 15 says. The greatest of love of all is the one that sacrifices all. The passion is not in how you're yelling or spitting or screaming. It's what you're willing to lay down for your friend. Whether you're willing to really go back to back and go, I'm with you, I'm fighting for you. Even if I have to lay down everything in my life, I'm going to pick it up in your life. We're not creating a church here. We're creating a family. A spiritual family that will stand back to back when things are tough, will tell you the truth when things are tough, will love you when things are going terrible, and will rejoice and celebrate with you when God blesses you. And that's not easy to find. Listen to me. And it's very, it takes courage to cut those relationships off that aren't doing that in your life. Because this book right here, you can read it front to back, study it front to back, but let me just boil it down to you. This is literally a story about a father and son relationship. And a father whose kids go wayward and then has to sacrifice everything to get back into relationship with them. Because relationships aren't just a part, listen to me, aren't just a part of Christianity. Relationships are the point of Christianity. And my prayer for you this morning is as the Holy Spirit moved and he's here whether you know it or not, he's brought some relationships to your mind that you know need to go. My prayer is this, that there would be a boldness and a courage to step into that, to turn into the skid, to lean into those relationships that are fruitful and to exit out the ones that aren't. Because God wants to do amazing things through you. But the most amazing relationship, it all starts with Jesus. It's the only really relationship that matters Jesus. If he's at the center of everything, we'll be good. If you're trying to get self-help, Jesus might not be the one for you. But if you want salvation and a new life and transformation, Jesus is the only one for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? It's just taking a step. Choosing the best friends, you first have to choose the best friend. And the greatest champion of all is Jesus because he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And as I spoke before, we don't have to do a lot, but we do have to surrender a lot. And that surrendering is an inward posture to say, God, It's not my will, it's your will. I don't want my ways, I want your ways. That's what it means to be born again. It's laying down your life and going, Jesus, I want all of you and less of me. He's called called you in this house this morning. And I believe some of you are here because you need to take a step towards him today. So this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. It's called being born again. It's an inward transformation that by faith, we say, God, come and do what only you can do. I want to be born again. And just like your physical birthday where you're born once, you're only born again one time. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a magic pill. It's a surrender of who you are and taking up and committing your life to Jesus. The great part about it, you only have to do it once. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Chris? I, I want to be born again this morning. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe that what Jesus did for you on the cross was enough to cover your past, present, and future sins. 
and see we confess him as Savior. He saves us. And Lord, he is master, boss, king over all of our lives. Some of you in here today, and that's the first relationship you need to choose. This is not about going to heaven. This is about getting heaven here on earth inside of you and living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. We're all going to pray it together. And I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. But what I will ask you to do is raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're agreeing by faith, by faith, that I would want to be born again. And by that acknowledgement, you're surrendering everything. Some of you, this is your next step. This is your first step. So on the count of three, I don't want you to care who's around you, what they might think. But if you're in here and you're going, I I, want to be born again. I don't think I'm born again. I want to give you the opportunity this morning. One, he has you here for a reason. Two, he's called you here for this purpose. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer. Is anyone? Awesome. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Wonderful. Awesome. I see you back there. Awesome. You can put your hands down. One more opportunity. Last 10 seconds. If you raise your hand once, you don't ever have to raise it again. It's the glory of the blood of Jesus. But if that's you said, I should have raised my hand this morning, I want you to raise it now. Anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. I see you back there. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, church, with all those that raised their hand this morning, we're going to rejoice with them and we're going to pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is now my home. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, put our hands together for those who prayed that prayer this morning.